Okay, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, with me today is Andrew Wilkes. Andrew is Senior Director of Policy and Advocacy at Generation Citizen and also Campaign Manager for the 50 by 2026 campaign. So, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Bradley. Uh, absolute joy to be with you today. Yeah, thanks. And we've, we've, I think we've come to know you a little bit through some of the mobile voting work that, that we've been doing. But uh, for the listeners who aren't familiar with Generation Citizen, what is it? Yeah, so Generation Citizen is a national civics education organization that seeks to inspire and spark inform participation in our democracy. And the way we go about doing that is providing uh, a kind of experiential civics education to folks in the K through 12 space. Uh, and that also, as it turns out, happens to be the work that 50 by 2026 is seeking to do as well. And what's your sense of, and, I, and I've got a 12 year old and a 14 year old, so I guess I got my own take on this, but what's your sense of how people, young people feel about government and politics today? Really great question. I think there's a, a dual feeling. On, on the one hand, there's a sense of hopefulness and excitement to get engaged. Um, but there's also, uh, when you look uh, at the events of January 6th, when you consider uh, declining trust in public institutions and the fact that we're really not investing in social studies and civics like we should, the opportunities for that excitement to get energized aren't really there as they could be. Got it. So the and how would you compare kind of those opportunities compared to what the Internet creates, both good and bad? It's a great question. I, I think the those opportunities that exist in a kind of a brick and mortar space, uh, one have changed of uh, due to the pandemic, right? So we're, we're all kind of getting education by, by Zoom rather than traditional classrooms. Uh, and so where the internet comes in is, uh, on the one hand, it's a real-time exercise in media literacy and an opportunity to kind of separate well-substantiated fact from opinions that may not have a solid basis. So in that sense, it's good. To the other point of your question, um, when it's not so good, is when you have uh, misinformation and sometimes uh, that distrust in government can sometimes be abetted and exacerbated by the internet. And do, do you feel like there's more opportunity to engage uh, young people through the internet or do you think there's, there's so much disinformation that they get that it does more harm than good? I, I think there's definitely opportunities to engage um, young folks through the internet. Uh, some of what, um, we and a number of other organizations have been able to do um, provide a kind of kickstart into comprehensive civics or experiential civics, action civics uh, through the internet. So in that way, it um, lowers the barriers to entry to have a kind of front door in the civics education. So in that sense, I think it's positive. Uh, but having the deep uh, kind of peer-to-peer -peer engagement with a teacher facilitating it in person I think it's really kind of the, the gold standard that, that, that you want. Was there a time where civics education was just the norm everywhere? You know, um, when my uh, parents were growing up, uh, civics education was uh, something that got course time and instructional time in schools. Um, you may uh, have heard the reference to Schoolhouse Rock, how a bill becomes a law. Uh, and so that kind of exposure to civics uh, was once common um, five decades or so ago. What's happened since then is that if you fast forward, uh, there's been a kind of crowding out of the social studies curriculum in favor of important things like 
STEM education, for instance. Uh, but by comparison, civics hasn't gotten quite that same attention. So a part of the case that we're making is that uh, civics isn't uh, a niche issue or a nice to have. Uh, but by focusing on civics, we're really helping to strengthen and form participation in a multiracial uh, democracy. And by the way, you, you would also just think, and I've got a ninth grader and a sixth grader, yeah. you know, when you teach stuff that they're interested in that's happening in relation to their lives, you know, they're more engaged and into it, right? You know, Absolutely. I mean, every kid has some subjects that are like better than others, but overall, like the stuff being relevant is just always a lot more engaging for all of us. So it, it's it's something where not only should they know it, but, you know, at least based on, on my kids, and Hugo, who's our producer, you know, you've got two kids in ninth grade as well. I think they, they want to do this. They would enjoy it. That, that's, that's spot on. And I think the research supports when uh, democracy education, civics education is relevant to the lived experiences of students. Uh, you not only see students getting the kind of um, foundational information they need to get engaged, but there's that excitement and that investment that you alluded to as well, which is it's just as important. Uh, the literature talks about this as civic dispositions, that sense of a state in our democracy. And we want to build that as well as building the skills and the knowledge to get engaged. What are the issues that, that you find that younger people today are, are most kind of concerned about? I, I would say of my kids, climate change to them represents a sort of existential threat that they are extremely aware of uh, and somewhat resentful of, of the previous generations for. Um, where does that stack up and, and what else do you think are on their minds? You know, it, it, it varies. We, we, we see a range of uh, issues across the country. You see um, climate change uh, showing up. You also see um, students concerned about increasing the quality of green space and access to parks, uh, working on uh, mental health challenges is something we've seen in, in places like uh, Utah, the parks, parks issue uh, in Texas. So it, it really varies. Um, Apart, Bradley, of what I think to your earlier point about having civics be relevant to students' lives, um, what students are interested in, in some regards, is a place-based issue, right? So what's happening in your local community shapes and informs where you want to kind of plug into the public policy process. And our uh, intervention is simply to make sure that as folks are plugging in, they have a sense of debate and how to build consensus and doing root cause research and all of those things that lead to informed participation. Yeah, that makes total sense. You know, we, we, we talk a ton in this country about red states and blue states or the divide between rural and urban. Um, but I, I would argue that a, a huge amount of the dividing line is, is really not geography, but but age and generation. Um, and that the younger generation overall has a lot more in common with each other um, than they have different. Um, do you think that's right? Or, or do you think that they represent the same fault lines as the rest of the country? You know, that, that, that's, a, um, that's a complex question, Brad. I, I, I think... Um, we got time. <laughs> take it down. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, on the one hand, that there's certainly a, a, a hope that um, you know, the young folks will, will lead us into a promising, shimmering future. And in many respects, I think that's that's true. We talked earlier about the sense of investment in our democracy. Uh, but that kind of investment in our politics doesn't happen automatically. Uh, and a part of what I think helps us to, to get there is a concurrent investment in both civics as well as history, because there's 
a lot of spirited debate on how we understand uh, the story of America's uh, emergence and development. Uh, and you see that showing up not only in classrooms, but in legislative chambers um, across the country. And, and a part of how I think we can realize that promise of the younger generation that you alluded to, um, Bradley, is to uh, sure accent student voice, to appreciate democratic school culture, but also to make sure that our lawmakers are stepping up to pass common sense uh, civics education policies that have an accent on experiential civics. Yeah. Like, t t take, for example, Black Lives Matter. And again, I, I, I'm mindful of the fact that I live in Manhattan and therefore I live in the, in the bubble of all bubbles. So maybe what my kids are taught in school isn't reflective of, of life overall. But, you know, it seems to me that this generation broadly across the board uh, understands the importance of a, of a cause like Black Lives Matter and really supports it. Um, is that true or am I just living in this kind of New York City, you know, total bubble? You know, there's um, research that, that suggests a lot of, um, I, I think broadly, I, I think there's a lot of resonance and truth to what you're saying. Uh, there's research that suggests a lot of young people um, have concerns about the kind of overly rosy telling of the country's founding that doesn't capture the promise as well as some of the uh, perennial challenges and, and pitfalls. And to the extent that you see uh, Black Lives Matter lifting up the moral imperative to have a sense of, of dignity right around um, all Black lives, I, I think that broadly resonates with where um, young folks are in terms of wanting to have a more encompassing curriculum on civics and history. Uh, so I, I don't think that's just in, 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 in Manhattan. I, I think that is uh, true in many ways um, widely. So who's against civic education? Like, do you guys have opponents or is it just sort of apathy? You know, there, there's been um, some, some pushback in terms of what um, civics education looks like in the details. Uh, there's been some concern, for instance, Bradley, that um, if you get people involved and excited about civics in their early, in their sixth grade and the ninth grade, for instance, will they have the tools to overcome groupthink and develop independent perspectives, which, you know, may not necessarily be what their parents thought, so on and so forth goes the word. Uh, and a part of what we share is that, you know, the best way to learn civics is by doing it like any other discipline. We teach folks how to drive by not only studying manuals, but you, you get out on the road and you get behind the wheel with adequate guidance and support. Same with science. You not only research uh, from a textual perspective, but you get in the laboratory. And so having um, students get involved in the public policy process as a laboratory for what they're learning in the classroom is the best way to get engaged. And so we, we try to suggest, I'll say it in a nutshell, Bradley, that there's a false choice between civic knowledge and civic participation. We need both to be a multiracial democracy. Yeah. So, okay, so you're a parent listening to this podcast and you're saying, my kid's school doesn't do much on civic engagement, but I still want to teach my kid about this. What should they do? It's a really great question. I, th I think a great place to begin is to um, get them immersed in the scene of, of where civics is, is happening, um, watching uh, legislative hearings and debriefing them, writing letters on things that uh, you're concerned about to your Congress uh, person, to your local city council person. You mentioned climate change is, is an issue, for instance. There's all kinds of 
work that can be done on issues of waste equity and uh, park access and green workforce development. Uh, and, and those are issues that there's one doesn't necessarily have to be affiliated with a party, right, to be concerned about those things. So I think the short answer, Bradley, is uh, learning by immersion on policy issues that young folks care about is a great place to begin. Yeah. What about things like every day, my son and I, he's 12, we read the New York Post. Uh, and you know, not everything in the New York Post we agree with. And uh, some of it are things I have to sort of scroll through very quickly. Um, but, you know, what about the news? I mean, do you, is, is that would you advise parents uh, to just make sure their kids are reading the newspaper or watching the news? And if so, what age do you think makes sense? Absolute hard yes to the first. Engaging in current events is a proven practice that the research is solidly behind in terms of civics education. Uh, in terms of uh, the earlier point about not necessarily agreeing with everything you read in particular news outlets, a part of what the internet, to return to an earlier part of the conversation and constructive engagement with the news means, is not only separating fact from opinion, uh, but trying to weigh the evidence and the support offered for particular claims, even if it's with people that you agree with. If someone takes a position as it relates to affordable housing or an issue of public safety, seeing the data that they appeal to, the stories they tell, the images that they put forth, and just kind of talking through how an author um, an editorial board moves from their kind of premise and assumptions to their conclusion can be a great way to understand how public narratives help to shape the decisions that we make uh, as political communities. Yeah, that makes total sense. So like in mid-February, maybe to late February, my, my son once day says to me, is Biden still the president? And I said, yeah, of course he is. Why? And he said, well, you don't hear about him that much. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Trump, that's all we did. We just heard about him all day, every day. And Biden, you know, I wasn't even sure if he's still there. So we're in this world where we're kind of in a post-Trump environment, right? Uh, and I personally think Biden's been pretty aggressive and, and doing pretty well. But but whether you think that or not, um, what was it like to deal with civics at a time when the president seemed to be so unwilling to adhere to basic norms of, of decency or, or truth? Yes, that's an excellent question. Um, you know, th there are, it, it, it's quite a time. You know, uh, uh, America is a variegated place, right? So so there are civics, uh, exciting civics being done in places where folks voted for Trump and there's exciting civics being done where folks had a different preferred head of state. And, and I think a part of what makes civics a unique opportunity to preserve a sense of hope and induction into our political community is that you get to work on local issues that are to some degree um, influenced by, but distinct, right, from what's happening on, on the federal scene. And so the innovative work that teachers and districts are doing uh, with student governments, with model UNs, with mock debates, um, but also getting involved in questions around how budget decisions are made, how uh, where stop signs go, that kind of local participation and research uh, has been a helpful way to kind of, to some degree, um, fly uh, beneath the noise. But it, it shows up, of course, inevitably in, in your classrooms uh, when you have, um, you know, families affected by 
uh, immigration policy, when you have um, folks concerned about questions of the disparate racial impact of expulsions and suspensions affecting some students more than others. So it's a delicate dance, I'll, I'll say, Bradley. What do you think of the concept of kind of required national service um, for all young people, maybe people out of college or of a certain age? You know, that, that's a um, a great question to raise. I mean, there, there's certainly a um, tradition of, you know, the Corporation for National Community Service and AmeriCorps has, has certainly sought to provide opportunities for folks to get engaged in, you know, great volunteer and direct service work in their communities. I think there's something that's exciting and, and energizing about that. Um, I think as with a lot of policy issues, how you work out the, the details is something that, you know, takes um, examination to make sure that you can figure out how, how to operationalize something effectively. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I mean, do you think that if, if we did have national service, it would then really change the way that people kind of engage in public life in their community uh, and everything else? Or uh, like, are there any examples of societies like take Israel, where everyone has to be in the military? Um, do you think those societies kind of get civics better or is it still kind of the same thing? That's, that's a, a good question. Certainly, um, comparative political analysis is often a good way to get a handle on what's happening uh, domestically. So I, I think that's a, a, a great method. Uh, in terms of, uh, I'll maybe kind of take this from, from the research uh, piece. I'm, I'm kind of maybe indirectly coming at your, your question, Bradley. Yep. Um, yeah. I think requiring civics education that's experiential, that gives people service learning opportunities, opportunities to engage the public policy process, and having that be a graduation requirement. I think we've seen some success in Massachusetts, in uh, Florida, which does things a bit differently, but still uh, has required course time, uh, and in Illinois as well. So, so there's some early movers in the states that have had some success with requiring uh, civics, service, getting involved in the community and engaged with policy, and that leading right on the back end, because the question is, what, what does that get you on the back end? More excitement about voting, jury service, yeah. joining organizations, etc. cetera. Um, and, and Bradley, the, at the end of the day, um, I think the, the early intervention, uh, because schools are still one of the few public institutions that we have most people kind of filtering through and having that formative experience in. So if you start there, it can pay dividends and have positive spillover effects for the rest of society. Right. That makes total sense. Um, you just mentioned voting. Um, we spent a lot of time, as, as, as you may know, uh, around mobile voting, and we're working on the theory that if you can uh, make it easier for people to vote, uh, more people will, and if you have more participation, then all of the incentives and inputs for politicians is to follow the will of the mainstream rather than kind of the radical fringe on each side where, where nothing gets done. Um, what are your thoughts on mobile voting? And do you think that more young people would vote if they could do it on their phone? I, I, I think the, um, you know, access to the ballot box is about as uh, sacred a, a precept and common ground as we get in American politics. Uh, so innovations like mobile voting, um, same-day voting, automatic voter registration, etc., et I see as existing on an important continuum and any lever that can be pulled to get people um, 
participating electorally, I, I think is a good thing. So yes, is the, the, the response to your question. I think that's a, um, a good way to go about it. Yeah, and that's, it's one of the, the kind of turns that we're taking with mobile voting right now is how do we reach that same group of maybe not K through 12, but maybe, you know, sixth or seventh grade middle school and high schoolers to kind of talk to them about the issue? Because if, if they ultimately demand the right to vote on their phone, I think it all and the technology is there and we're working on the technology, then I, I think it'll happen. Um, so how if you were us, uh, how would you go about kind of trying to reach people of that generation? Is it on TikTok and Instagram or how would you do it? That's a great question. I, I, I think certainly uh, leveraging TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, those platforms where people already are and, and making the case uh, is a savvy way to go about it. It's also helpful to point to instances where this work is already happening. Uh, a lot of what uh, the participatory budgeting project does uh, when young folks are making decisions about allocating school resources. Some of that takes place uh, on the phone in some cases where that's happening legislatively. Uh, there's tablets and other devices where people can can participate. And so if you're already voting uh, in one area of life and have had some exposure to it. In New York, for instance, uh, TV starts as young as 14. Why not kind of transfer that over to wider electoral spaces? Uh, but the third thing that I'd say is um, what we found is when young people get a chance to see uh, what's at stake and what hangs in the balance on their engagement, uh, that makes uh, politics uh, much more weighty, much more uh, a question of immediate importance rather than a subject that you study for solely on a test. Um, so the communications uh, aspects are really critical as well. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. It's a tangible, real thing in their lives and not just sort of this, you know, vague historical concept. Mm -hmm. um, so celebrities. So you see a lot of celebrities that sort of seem to involve themselves in civics one way or another. Mm -hmm. um, is that helpful because kids like that or does it just kind of get in the way and, and it's mainly about them just getting attention for, for themselves? Well, you know, there, there uh, may be a bit of uh, interest convergence that, that, that comes into play, okay. uh, getting yeah. attention yeah. for themselves as well as the public interest being advanced. Um, I, I think it depends. I mean, you, you see um, folks like uh, Yara Shahidi and, and Chance the Rapper, both celebrities that have done a lot of um, civic participation, partnership with folks like uh, When We All Vote. Uh, you also see folks on uh, the more conservative side, um, people who are thought leaders in that space engaging with your, you know, your, your Boy Scouts and other kind of um, veteran pillars of, of civic engagement. So I, I think there's something to be said for the kind of attention grabbing dynamic of having celebrities. Um, as it relates to the formation and cultivating civic identity and the skill acquisition, I think that's the kind of work that community-based organizations, schools, and, and others are perhaps better suited to conduct. So what does success look like for you guys? Like, how do you kind of determine whether or not Generation Citizen is working? Yes, that's a great question. I, I, I think for, um, for Generation Citizen, for uh, for 50 by 2026, the, the, the North Star is, you know, by um, 2026, which just so happens to be the 250th 
anniversary of the Declaration of Independence signing, which is, you know, kind of like a, not to ask why twenty twenty six. Yeah, yeah, kind of a, a nice milestone, right, to to, to orient ourselves to. Uh, if every state in the country had requirements that invested in teacher professional development so that they can tackle the hard issues. Uh, if students prior to completing their high school uh, careers had access to uh, a supportive environment where they can get engaged in the public policy process, if that's taking place in every state, um, that's what success looks like, as opposed to um, the current reality, uh, which is where you have civics uh, in state social studies standards, uh, but it's often not holistic and it focuses more on the acquisition of knowledge solely and not uh, getting the skills and the dispositions, getting excited and learning how to plug into the process. So uh, if every state could kind of augment its uh, civics education requirements to be more experiential, as well as having the knowledge component, Bradley, that would get us to a place. Uh, and again, I wanna keep coming back to why is this important generally, where we can see more volunteering, more informed debate, more voting, more excitement and resilience, honestly, because when you get involved in politics, things don't always shake out to your preferred policy future. So there's something to be said about the resilience dimension as well. All right. Hugo's telling me to wrap it up. But last question, then, how, how can people learn more about Generation Citizen? How, how can they get involved? How can they work with you guys? Absolutely. So so there's uh, two um, places that I would direct people to, which are, are broadly aligned with, with the work. Uh, the first is uh, they can visit us on our website, on our socials, uh, socials, Gen Citizen website, generationcitizen.org. Uh, the 50 by 2026 campaign, which uh, we've helped uh, to incubate, um, is 50 by 2026.org. Uh, there we go. Andrew Wilkes, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Bradley. Absolute joy.